What is up, citizens? Understory Bard here. Today, the interview series continues with James Howard Kunstler. This is the second time Jim and I have spoken. I hope to make it an annual occurrence because every single time we talk, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but he always makes me think. So I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I enjoyed uh, talking with him. And without further ado, James Howard Kunstler. Well, hello there, citizen. Welcome to the Understory Bard Podcast, where we talk about self-producing your creative projects, online content creation, and copywriting. Admission to the Understory is free, but understanding always has a price. Let's light the lantern. What is up, creators? Wade here, and we continue our interview series with James Howard Kunstler, author artist and now new political commentarist commentarist <laughs> commentarist i'm not a commentator commissar. there we go you're I'm not, not a, a commissar, commissar. Comm- commentator jim it's been about a year and three months since we talked last how are you doing i uh, i'm doing fine and it's a pleasure to talk to you again wade yeah absolutely i'm excited i i re-listened to our podcast and uh i i feel like we were optimistic in our in our podcast from a year and a year and three months ago yeah. about how things were going to go how do you have any early comments for me on the last year and and how things have gone and kind of your thoughts well my main thought is that uh the the the, the joe biden administration has proved to be probably the worst that you could imagine, much worse than I imagined it would be. It's the damage that it's wreaked on American culture and politics and and economics is uh, beyond what I thought they'd be able to get away with. Uh, you know that that that's sort of the key to it. I thought that a lot of this stuff would be would find more direct opposition. I thought obviously thought that the the elections would turn out uh, better. And they haven't, uh, you know, mysterious, somewhat mysteriously again. And uh, the country is really in the grips of uh, some kind of, uh, you know, unseen power that uh, now I'm not really a mystical dude or a religious nut or uh, uh, certainly not a conspiracy theorist. But, um, you know, some something is uh, running things that is uh you know, coming from outside of our uh, our interests in our system. And there seems to be some sort of paralysis among the people, in my you opinion. Bet. Especially especially among the what is supposed to be the political opposition. Yeah, the silent the quote, the silent majority is I don't know if they're hoping things are going to go back to 2018 or um, there's just so many things that are happening so fast that they can't be processed. But I'm at the moment and that may change. Obviously, I, I am shocked at how little people are even noticing what's happening. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd also make a distinction between, you know, the masses of the people out there and the political figures who ought to know better because the masses have really been uh, uh, fucked around uh, with propaganda and, and, uh, you know, uh, psyops and and really, you know, the Twitter files really uh, showed how directly the government has been. Uh, interfering in uh, just the regular public arena and the dispersion of of information and and debate. And uh, it's actually got to be much worse than even the Twitter files revealed because um, Twitter is a 
uh, a much smaller outfit than Facebook and uh, and Google. And just the amount of manipulation that's gone on to mess with the public's mind is epic. So it's not surprising that people are confused and paralyzed and just going about their business because they don't know what's going on. I'm amazed. You know, I I've been talking. I've been trying to reconnect with some of my old uh, liberal friends. Um, and I must add, you know, I, I've said this before, but I, I, I was a registered Democrat for 40 years. Uh, I wasn't a raving uh, leftist. Uh, I was all, always pretty much in the center. But, um, you know, th- th- those people left me far behind. And now I consider the Democratic Party to be just the party of chaos and 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 mayhem and and craziness and um i've been trying to reconnect with old friends and i'm just astounded at what they don't know and i'm astounded at the fixed ideas that seem to have been installed in their brains uh you know they don't know anything about really they they have no idea what's going on with vaccine damage they have no idea you know they're, they're all flying ukraine flags on their porches and um it's very disappointing to see how ill informed and manipulated they've become well, but it's also the institutions. You brought up Twitter and, you and use that as an example. In the or I would say the early '90s, let's say, right? If if that would have come out about a company, about the government going after the First Amendment right of a private company and managing speech, it would have been there would have been congressional hearings, like not these show hearings that we're having right now, but there would have been indictments. There would have been people arrested. There would have been. Um, it would have been massive, massive, massive scandal. Yeah, was, and uh, the regulators would have been in there. You know, the FCC would have been in there or the, the Federal Elections Commission, you know, uh, or, or you know, Federal Communications Commission would have been in there. But, but uh, every institution in our society has been corrupted and, and uh, messed with. Everything, you know, uh, the military, the, the uh, academia, um, the the law, um, entertainment, communications. There's 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 really no institution that hasn't been messed with, and uh, uh, it's it's really hard to understand why people have rolled over for it, especially people in the the news um, profession. You know, I, I find it really hard to believe that every New York Times reporter has, you know, sold their soul to wh- whoever it is. It's it's really mystifying. So uh, the 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 biggest characteristic of the age that we're living in is that it, there's a tremendous fog over everything. And it's very hard to see through it to understand what's actually going on. And I think so. That- you Go ahead. Uh, you know, you have to sort of reduce everything to kind of an Occam's razor proposal where the simplest explanation is probably the correct one. I, I don't know, though, because like take, for example, yes, of course, but take, for example, how many fires there have been yeah. on like the infrastructure. Right. Yeah. And I I, try, I desperately try not to be a conspiracy theorist person, but what are the chances? And, and Occam's razor would say, well, that's just incompetence. Right. That it's just it's just mass incompetence. And I guess that's possible. But does it it's starting to edge into the into the realm of either we have turned into the most incompetent nation ever or there maybe there's a, another explanation that's going on. Well, there is a there is another explanation, which is that uh, economic uh, travails in the business 
community have uh, resulted in a lot of delayed maintenance. And so a lot of things are going wrong in a highly complex, highly technically complex society. So, you know, things are breaking. But uh, I agree with you. It's certainly suspicious. You know, another thing that's suspicious to me that I've noticed only lately is that there are absolutely no perps that have been identified for most of this. I mean, uh, we we have so many security cameras all over the country, absolutely every nook, cranny, stairwell, back room, you know, and, and we haven't been able to identify one perp for all and, of these uh, industrial fires and, and accidents. It's it's kind of amazing. So and, go ahead. Well, I, I'm inclined to think that the, it has something to do with the, our open border. And one of the Occam's razors conclusions that you would come to is that why wouldn't why wouldn't some uh, adversarial nation or group send people over the border to mess with us? Why wouldn't they? It's an open invitation to them. There's no no obstacle for them to do it. You know, have you know having a a uh, 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 an entry system at ports of entry that actually works it, it is really a, a great uh, disincentive for other countries to send people over who are saboteurs, spies, and and uh, you know no goodniks. But we, we have absolutely none of that apparatus working. So, you know, why not? Why wouldn't they? Well, and especially since we seem to be a particularly unserious people at the moment, you know, so it's absolutely like no, no one's. And very, we have been for, uh, for you know, 20 years. No one's super interested in figuring figuring that out. And the other thing, too, is is that the pace of just the pace of things that are happening. Nobody seems to realize if you could take yourself back to, say, like 2010, just 10 years ago and then suddenly transport the 2010 version of yourself to today, you would immediately become overwhelmed. So of the things that are happening. So for instance, like these jets that were shooting down balloons or whatever it was, right? In my lifetime, a United States jet has never had to shoot down anything that I'm aware of in our airspace ever. That should be front page news, but everyone's like, ah, we just shot down a Chinese spy balloon. And then we, you know, whatever this other theater was for everything else like that by itself should be news for a month. Right. But everyone's like, ah, not a big deal. And they just kind of move on to the next thing. I think they're so, I think the result of the pandemic and the result of just everything has, has really reframed everyone in a really weird way. Well, what you're also saying, I think without really uh, identifying it is that the main uh, conduit for that information is the news media. And if the news media is really completely untrustworthy, then nothing's going to make an impact. So it doesn't matter what the headline is. Nobody believes what they're saying anymore. So, or at least a, a preponderance of people, enough people in this culture don't believe what uh, the New York Times and, and uh, NBC News are saying. So, uh, you know, it just adds to the fog and to the sense that nothing, nothing real really gets through. You know, what you end up with is a consensus that is unable to uh, form a coherent picture of reality. That's a basic fundamental illness of the society yeah, the but my my peers though also 
don't seem to be having any issue. Like take, for example, so last year on the what's going to happen in the next year bingo card, I did not have a war with Russia on there. And, you know, right now we seem to be running headlong into a war with Russia where Biden's going over to Ukraine, giving speeches and speeches in Poland and uh, like the, the the chance of us having a very high degree of a direct conflict with a new I can't say this word I was getting trouble nuclear peer nuclear I see I'm from North Dakota nuclear 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 I can't say that word I'm like George Bush um, but anyway is the highest it's been in, in in you know 50 years 40 years and everyone's like ah oh, it's not really no one's talking about it we're just running headlong into this well this, the, the propaganda about the Ukraine war is probably the most distorted uh, uh, module of the whole news media thing. And you could see this coming from a thousand miles away, actually. You know, you could see it coming from 2014, but especially in the last few years when uh, the Ukrainians were shelling the Donbass and uh, the Russians and Mr. Putin were saying very clearly, you know, there's going to be a red line uh, uh, beyond which we're not going to accept this anymore. And you can, you know, if you've been paying attention to what uh, Russian leadership, uh, namely Putin and Lavrov, have been saying for the last several years, it's absolutely clear they 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 couldn't have made it more clear what uh, you know what they would accept and what they what they were going to do. And uh, I think it's pretty clear what they're doing now, which is that they're attempting to clean up this problem uh, by uh, creating as little damage as possible in Ukraine so that Ukraine can somehow continue to be a sovereign backwater nation that's not going to cause any trouble for anybody. I don't think they want to occupy Ukraine. You know, that's way more more trouble, excuse me, than it's worth. Uh, and, and far more costly. Um, I think that they they want to end this problem as quickly as they can. And their main interest is to neutralize Ukraine as being a troublemaker in that part of the world, which is their sphere of influence, which is none of our business, really. And we've gone in there ever since 2014 and created an enormous problem in this foolish and quixotic uh, campaign to disable Russia and and supposedly overthrow it and break it up. Um, and it's just, it couldn't be crazier. And it's not going to happen. Everything we've done has backfired. And now, uh, you know, Russia has made it clear they're going to grind out this war or maybe perhaps accelerate it and end it, uh, you know, even sooner uh, uh, than we expect. But, you know, we're, we're, we're done there. We don't even have the ammo to send over anymore. The whole tank thing is a hallucination. It's, it's a joke. Well, and and I, I kind of want to loop this into some of your expertise on the energy side, right? So the long emergency was about how, you know, and, and forgive my paraphrase, but effectively like the cheap, cheap energy is going to be a thing of the past. That's going to have, you know, massive implications for our economy um, and how we live. And so how is what's happening now in Russia? How is that impacting kind of your view on energy and what's going to happen to us in the next, like, let's say five years? Well, the main thing we've accomplished really is uh, to disrupt the distribution pattern uh, for oil that was in place for, you know, 50, 60 years and and disrupted badly. Uh, and, there, you know, there are all kind of all kinds of uh, elements to the story that uh, the, the public would probably find uh, tedious, boring and and. <laughs> 
you know, things like the, what is the difference between the, the shale oil industry and the conventional oil drilling industry? And, you know, the main difference is that uh, uh, shale oil is uneconomical. You, nobody can make money doing it or very few people can make money doing it. And um, increasingly, it's, uh, you know, bankrupting the people who do it. And that was our main way of extending the oil age for 10 years. And, you know, it was a kind of a stunt and it worked as a stunt, but it was a stunt and it's over now. And the main reason it's over is because for the 12 odd years that the shale oil program was running, um, they couldn't make any money doing it. Uh, and they attracted a lot of investment during that period. But having now demonstrated they can't make money, they're not going to attract new investment. And that's the quandary that the American industry is in, apart from all of the foolish impositions of the Biden administration, you know, stopping pipelines and stuff. But the other part of the, the problem is, you know, the way oil is distributed around the world, it is a fungible commodity, meaning, you know, um, oil is oil um but there are uh you know there 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 are uh refinements there there are parts of the story that uh are difficult for people to understand like the fact that shale oil whatever else it is is ultra light oil it doesn't have a lot of the important distillates the heavier distillates that we need mainly you know, diesel, kerosene, aviation fuel. Um, that's how light shale oil is. So, you know, we need to get that from other places. And when the world's distribution network is upset, and we were getting a certain amount of Russian oil before, and, you know, now um, if we do get it, and we probably still do, you know, it has to come through third parties like India. And it becomes, you know, and, and there's more trans transport nodes that are involved and it becomes much more difficult so uh uh that's going to aggravate the basic uh, quandary that we're in with having had to depend on shale oil to keep us uh in the position we were in in 2008 before shale oil got going we were importing uh, almost three quarters of the oil we were using. We were using 20 million barrels a day and we were producing about 4.9 million barrels a day. You know, we got up to about 12 million or or near near to 13 million barrels a day with shale oil. Uh, and now that's dropping. I think we're down to 11 now or some in that neighborhood. And it's going to drop more swiftly because another characteristic of the shale oil miracle is that shale wells deplete by about 60% in the first year and after 3 years they're gone whereas you know a conventional oil field like in Oklahoma in 1952 you know that well would produce thousands of barrels a day for 30 years you know these these uh, wells produce hundreds of barrels a day for for the first year and after that they declined steeply so you know without redrilling and and refracking and and a lot of costly operations you can't maintain production at the level that we were at in 2019 so that's our basic quandary and the big problem too is money's not cheap anymore right so it's not right. like so you know, that was yeah that was uh, zero interest uh lending back then and uh, that made a big difference. Now, you know, what, five, six, seven, eight percent, you know, that's a whole new ballgame. People are going to look back, I think, that the at the, the Ukraine situation and sort of the the 
the um you know the sanctions against russia and you know people don't want to start to talk about well the you know the demise of the petrodollar and what that's going to do to us and our inability to sort of like keep printing money and offshoring those issues right people don't really mm-hmm. care about that but those things are going to have a profound impact on us going forward for decades like my children are going to grow up in a much different world than i grew up in yeah like the you know one of the ideas that's hard for people to process probably is you know the idea of exporting inflation you know, what does that mean? Every, you know, you hear all these uh, commentators, Peter Schiff and et cetera, you know, talking about exporting inflation. But, you know, what does that mean to people? It, it means nothing to them, actually. They don't understand what it means. But what it basically means is that, you know, we send them paper. They send us finished products and uh, they're we're basically sending them IOUs. Um, and, uh, you know, when when the dollar loses its reserve status or or even its, you know, dominance of the the scene, um, you know, that's going to end. Americans are not going to have cheap products. They're going to have to pay a lot more for stuff. Basically, it means your standard of living goes way down. It goes down sharply and probably quickly. And that would that you know, that that is already getting people's attention. I mean, the one thing that people are noticing is that they. You know, it, it costs much more to every month to just live. You you know, when I'm at the grocery store that I shop at, I I uh, I opt into the uh, the surveillance and I get the fuel points, right, where they give you one fuel point for every dollar, and and so they can then they can track you know what you buy. But at the end of the month, every month, you know, the number of fuel points is the number of dollars that you spent, and so it's sort of like a forced acknowledgement of how much you spent on groceries in the last month, right? And it's it's shocking how much more how many more fuel points I have at the end of the month than I did you know six months ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyways, that's a good good story. Yeah, there seems to be hardly anything in the grocery store anymore that's under five bucks. Yeah, well, yeah, and if if your coffee goes from five to seven dollars, right? You're like, oh, it's just seven. It's just seven, two more dollars, but that's on everything. Like, that's, yeah, that's, right. You know, you know. Um, I sort of feel like there's this feeling that I have at least that there's this game of musical chairs that's been being played right now on a world stage and everyone is just trying to get everything they possibly can before everything tanks, right? Like we're trying to funnel as much money through the Ukraine before that ends. We're trying to, you know, all the institutions are trying to do everything they possibly can before there's sort of the reckoning. Um, and I don't know when that's going to come, but it seems to me it it may be pretty quick here. What's your thought on sort of time frames for things? Um. <laughs> Well, uh, it's hard to say what's, uh, you know, personally, as as I already said, I think that the Ukraine situation is going to be resolved fairly quickly by the Russians. I I don't think that they have any interest in really dragging it out a whole lot longer. I think they want to conclusively just put a stop to this. Um, But when that happens, the, you know, my big worry is that America will do something crazy. American leadership will do something nuts. Uh, You know, we already know how crazy the Biden administration is, and it seems like almost nothing is beyond them. So uh, that's my big worry. Um, I guess what we're talking about is how how quickly does the world become a disorderly place? Um, And that includes all of the nuts and bolts of the global economy, the supply lines, the trade relationships, and all of that stuff seems to be fraying very, very quickly. Um, The uh, BRICS nations have been forced to start a whole new uh, set of trade relations and settlement systems for trade. And more and more what you're seeing is that Western civilization is isolating itself from the rest of the world. 
And, you know, that will that will uh, play out in the U.S. getting, for one thing, far fewer of the commodities that we're used to getting, including agricultural fertilizers, you know, certain metals that we don't have uh, or that we're not mining and that we need for making the critical stuff that we make. And, um, uh, you know, I think that the uh, effects of that are going to show pretty swiftly. I I would guess the second half of 2023 is going to be a real shit show economically in the United States. We seem to be still running on fumes just for now. But uh, the combination of the damage that's actually been done to uh, global trade and the craziness that uh, America has reacted and responded to all of it with, I think, is a very, very ominous combination. And um, most of it has blown back on us. It's hurt us more than than our supposed adversaries. And, And by the way. Some of our adversaries, like Russia, shouldn't have been an adversary in the first place. There really wasn't any good reason for us to be so unfriendly to them for the last six years. But it became kind of an obsession with, uh, you know, a certain slice of the people who run foreign relations in America. And a lot of it had to do with just this sheer uh, irrational hatred of Donald Trump. Yeah, well, the Trump thing is going to sort itself one one way or the other in the next yeah. you know couple of years. But the thing is, is what, what I find interesting is that our our real adversary that is China, but yet no one seems to want to talk about that at all and do anything about it, you know. And so we're just have this hyper focus on Russia, which is not really going to be a problem compared to what China's doing. Yeah, well, the reason I think we don't want to talk about it is we get most of the stuff that we need from there, you know, the products anyway. Um, maybe not commodities, but, you know, every washing machine, every refrigerator, every auto part. I mean, how badly can you alienate that particular country and trading partner before you're absolutely unable to fix anything or replace anything in America? You know, and we're not in a position to start uh, to to uh, uh, restart the the scale of manufacturing that we had in this country in 1963. You know, we're not going to build factories that large again, and we're not going to have the energy to run stuff at that scale. So, you know, we're going to have to rescale everything in America. Even, you know, if we make anything, we're going to have to rescale it and make it a smaller operation. And uh, we have no idea how we're going to do this. We're not paying any attention. All we're trying to do is desperately... Uh, sort of maintain a damaged stat- status quo that's crumbling fast and quickly. And nobody really knows how to do it, probably because, you know, my guess is that it comes down to this thing I call the psychology of previous investment, uh, which means you've put so much of your national uh, national wealth into a certain infrastructure for doing things that you can even entertain the idea of doing things differently. So, uh you know, uh, we we did run industry at a certain scale previously. Now we can't even imagine rebuilding it on a different scale and running it differently or decentralizing stuff. You know, we can't imagine, for example, fixing the railroad system, uh, even though it's the most obvious thing that we need to do. Um, you know, we, we're having what a thousand derailments a, a year, and not all of it is sabotage. A lot of it is because the tracks are just in miserable condition, and we refuse to fix them. 
Well, there's a moment, there's always a momentum to, to everything psychologically. Um, and that it's very difficult to turn the ship, but someone's got to start saying, Hey, we need to start building things again. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. We're going, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the book, like when Atlas Shrugged, I don't know if you've ever read it, but sure. I, f- I feel like what's happening now is an incompetence Atlas Shrugged, right? Where it's not so much that like all the smart people are, are going to, uh, spoiler alert, if you've read the book, all the smart people go to an island, right? Um, yeah. It's a, uh, if you, it's not so much that all the smart people are going to an island, but it's just that there are no more smart people almost, you know, in terms of, in, in terms of our infrastructure, in terms of our, the, the level of incompetence. I just saw that. So for example, in Illinois, not one student could do math or English. Not one. Not one in like yeah. thirty schools was at math or English at grade level. Chicago, like, Chicago, right? Don't people think that's going to have an impact? Like, not one. Not, not there wasn't one super smart kid that was just like, ah, oh, whatever. You're like, not one. Like, that's a, that's a problem. That's a national emergency. Yeah, and, there, and no one's saying anything about it. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Well, that's a third rail in American politics, which is, you know, why are black kids performing so poorly? And, uh, you know, we, we don't want to talk about it. The, the only thing that I'd be willing to say about that at this point uh, is that, and I've said it for years, that uh, unless we make a number one priority of teaching uh, kids how to speak English properly, they're not going to learn anything else. Okay, so that's one aspect of multiculturalism that is a proven failure. You know, we can't have, you know, two different languages in America, Ebonics and regular English, because they're not going to learn chemistry, they're not going to learn anything. And we don't do that. And, you know, the uh, the number two, I I don't know, these are maybe interchangeable, number one, number two, the number two, or number one pro- priority, if you switch out the speaking English properly and, and reading properly, is uh, we've got to um, insist on decent behavior. And we don't do that. Well, and it's not a monetary problem, though. So for, and, and also, too, is like I don't think every single every single person and that every single kid in that school is black. Right. Like there has to be a, a diverse amount of kids in the school. So every single student in that school yeah. is being failed and they're throwing $50,000 a student at them. Right. So it's not money. Like there's, there's an institutional problem. There's an institutional problem. Like the educational system is failing like 100%. And so, well, I just, I just said, said the, the particular about it. There's right. a, you can't just keep on repeating the mantra. Our schools are failing. Our schools are failing. Our schools are failing. You know, you, you got to get kind of uh, into the weeds with that. And the, the main thing in the weeds is we're not teaching kids how to speak English. Right. And, and if well, they can't speak English, they can't learn anything else. It's got to be a number one priority. We don't other, do it because yeah. we're be, because we're ashamed to acknowledge that uh, you know that that not speaking English correctly is a is a social deficit. Well, you know, and, it just is. We got to face the facts. Yeah, well, we can't live in a fantasy land that makes you know it's it's. And I think yeah, well, that's we are living in a fantasy but land. That's, and that's what, why yeah. that's why we have schools that are failing, and that's why we can't go beyond the mantra of schools that are failing and say why schools are failing. Well, schools we, are failing uh, because teachers don't teach kids how to speak English. Well, we live in a fantasy land across the board. I mean, we live in this this take take going back to energy for example, right? This whole idea of California says that we're not going to have any any uh cars that have combustion engines in like 15 years. Like that's stupid. Like that is the beyond stu- like the idea yeah. that the idea that that wind and solar are going to be 100% responsible 
for our energy is stupid. It's not, it's not, it, but everyone's like, it just sounds good. So we're going to say it, but it's impossible with the technology. Right. It doesn't right pencil out. No, at all. Not even close to penciling out. If you look at it for five yeah. minutes, it doesn't even pencil out. And so there's this thing where re there's reality is going to crash into this, this utopian thinking that everyone has right now. And the problem is it's not just in one area. When I was in law school, uh, we would, we, there was like one person that was like this crazy leftist person and they would give these crazy leftist answers in, in class and everyone would just ignore that person. Right now that person is in charge because right. we've, you know, we've all been asleep. And so, and, and, and that's a group of people and I don't know how big or small it is so that that person's in charge. And then there's a very large group of people who are like, well, you know what? I don't agree with that person, but I'm going to pretend to so that everything goes okay. And that's what's the, 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 the percentage of, and I promise there's a question here. There's a certain percentage of competence that has to happen in a society for everything to work. And it doesn't have to be 50% or 60%. It could even be like 25%, right? Or whatever it is. We're falling below. We have fallen below that percentage and no one seems to, to know that. And I don't know if there's a way back before everything just cratering, you know, I mean, well, you, I, I think that one, one reason for that is that, uh, these uh, leftist crazies who have gotten in charge of a, a lot of institutional machinery have uh, uh, they have imposed coercions and punishment on anybody who attempts to defy their their craziness. And it's become so extreme that, you know, people are definitely afraid of defying their craziness, just as in 1793, the people in France were afraid of, of defying the Jacobins who were in charge in that phase of the French Revolution. They were eventually overthrown because their craziness was intolerable. They were turning French society upside down. So the Jacobins were overthrown and uh, very, very swiftly. I think we're going to see something like that here and it's happening already. And the reaction is going to be ferocious. Like everything else in history, it's going, you know, they're going to, they're going, they're going to uh, react way beyond the, you know, the, the swing of the pendulum to, to the other side and the, the kind of punishments that they're going to inflict on their previous uh, persecutors is going to be frightful. Well, and I, and I think I think people are starting to realize that there is no satiating the beast, right? Like this isn't a situation where like, OK, it's it's a political thing. I'm just going to kind of get along, you know, go along to get along and then it will just sort of stop and it will be tolerable. Right. In terms of what well, they've proven a yeah. million times that, you know, it doesn't matter if you apologize for some imagined offense that you've given to the left. You know, the more you apologize, the more you're going to get punished. So that's now clear. So, uh, no, the only the only thing left is to oppose them and to do it, uh, you know, really strongly oppose them. And uh, a big problem now is that the so-called opposite political opposition, which by default is the Republican Party, has uh, not been able to to really oppose these people strongly. We're beginning to see just the first uh, flush of of uh, hearings in the House of Representatives, but you know it's got to go way beyond that. You know, you know, we're we're really going to have to. You know, no one has been held accountable for any of the the crimes and insults to American institutions over the last six, seven years or so, really since Trump came down the escalator.
And um, as long as no one's being held accountable, they're going to keep on doing it. And uh, I, I don't, you know, it's the one of the most puzzling things of all is what has gone on in the federal court system. You know, what what has made it impossible to uh, to make to hold any of these people responsible for their their crimes? Well, part of that, I'm, you know, is going to come from part of it, not all of it, though, is, you know, I used to be a prosecutor. So I started my career and uh, it's like the discretion factor is that the court can't bring a suit itself. Sure. All a court can do is is I don't know you know that, but all a court can do is just no, decide on cases that are brought before it. And so I feel like the 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 group that's in power right now, quote the opposition, is uh-huh. is so old. Right. Like it's it used to be with you, like take if you were a university president, for example, if you were a university president, you would step aside when you were like 60, 65, and then you would let the next crop of people come through. Right. So I'm Gen X. Right. I just turned 50. That whole group ahead of me, none of them are letting go. Like they are holding on for as long as they possibly can. And so part of that is, is that they're not, they're unwilling to go into that sort of the, what you're talking about is where's the, where's the accountability? Where's, because that's a fight and that's a uniparty. Like nobody wants to fight. It's like the Republican. Well, that's true at the top level of uh, national politics. I'm not, I'm not so sure it's true in the other institutions. You know, the universities uh, in, for the most part are run by uh, increasingly run by uh, women in you know, the prime of their life. The trouble is, is that uh, you know the, the there's there's something that women are bringing to leadership that is not working. Uh, a part of it, I you know, is the idea that we have to uh, uh, lead our thinking with our feelings, and that's not working. You know, there, there's something about the discipline of uh, being a man that is necessary for to run a society. And we refuse, that's another one of the realities that we, you know, it's a, also a third rail and, uh, you know, we can't talk about it, but you know, the, it's, it's been tremendously damaging to put women in charge of so many institutions. It's, they've acted like a wrecking crew, especially in academia. But isn't it isn't it less of the gender and more of the ideology? So for example, like a yeah, large- it's both. It's, it's both, you know, it's, it's both. I would point to I would point more towards the woke ideology. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think woke ideology comes especially from putting women in charge of institutions. Why do you think? Because it's all about feelings. It's not about thinking. Yeah, but I mean, feelings is about how you feel about stuff. Yeah, but you can have you can have women that are analytical and not. Yeah, you can, and there there are there are plenty of them. There are plenty of them, but there there are plenty more who are behaving differently and 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 uh, wrecking institutions because of it. Well, I think again, I would I would just point more towards the ideology only because the ideology maybe attracts like just the woke ideology, for example, is completely on your feelings. And so it's the same thing with the Ukraine, right? Like it's like you can put a Ukrainian flag in your in your um you know, on your porch or in your in your yard or whatever, and you feel good, you're like, yeah, like I'm going to support Ukraine like publicly. But what you're really doing at the moment is supporting this like headlong rush into possible total destruction, you know, I and mean, I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to go that far unless, like you said, that the the um, the United States is something insane. But I mean, I don't I don't know. I just think it's like I said, is I think there's going to be this the people are going to be forced 
to look at reality versus forced to look at feelings or forced to look at ideology or how they just wish things would be. And yeah, right. that's exactly my point, Wade. And I, yeah. I think that that's, you know, I realize this is an extremely unappetizing idea to have to even play with verbally. But, you know, uh, I, I, I think it's true. I think women tend to uh, be, be much more impressionistic in their in their thinking than men are. And that, uh, you know, we're a, a lot of what's gone wrong has to do with uh, that kind of thinking. Well, and gender. And that's the thing, too, is I think that one thing that the left has done is that they have completely destroy the idea of gender obviously with all of the the crazy the craziness and you know they've attempted to to destroy it but what they haven't destroyed is the fact that there are differences between men and women and that there's such a thing as men and women yeah no and it's so you can pretend as much as you want and we're you know we're in this great age of pretending about everything and you know both you and me have had to probably be careful about what we say about all kinds of things around those issues. But um, I'm now a little bit beyond the point where I'm willing to just pretend about anything. Right. No, and so, I, yeah, so I well, stick by what I said. No, no. And that's a good, that's the part of, listen, that's the part of great part about, you know, you know, talking and you have to be able to talk about issues to come to solutions, you know, mm-hmm. and there can't be, if you have issues that you can't talk about, then there will be solutions that you will never find. Uh, let me let me try to introduce another, another angle to this. You know, uh, what we were talking about five minutes ago before we went down the gender rabbit hole was uh, that uh, there seemed to be a kind of uh, epidemic of incompetence in our country, and um, while that seems to be true, I'd also point to uh, a phenomenon that that happens cyclically in human history and in human culture. And that is you you get to these weird moments in history, maybe they're fourth turnings, so-called, right? Where one of the manifestations is a vacuum of leadership. For some mysterious reason, people of uh, uh, of standing and stature just do not step forward. You know, they uh, they're there. They're they're out there in the thickets, but they you know they won't step forward and take the reins of leadership and and do anything and and these things resolve in very peculiar ways, and uh, I have to hark back, as I have more than once, on what happened in France in the in the French Revolution, you know after the Jacobins were deposed in 1794, you get this period of drift for several years. And then this figure, this young man from Corsica, is uh, he's a military officer. He's an artillery officer. They bring him to Paris. And one of the things that he happens to do by sheer happenstance, because he's there and, you know, someone tells him to go do it, is he puts down a mob with a whiff of grape shot, as he puts it. Right. And that figure is Napoleon Bonaparte. And uh, everybody recognizes him. They everybody realizes they you know this guy's got some kind of leadership ability, and so uh, they uh, promote him. They send him to uh, Italy with an army. You know he wipes up the floor with the Austrians over there, um, and uh, uh, comes back to Paris. And everybody points to him and says he's the guy. You know all of a sudden he's the first council. 
you know, uh, and, uh, you know, before you know it, he's barely 30 years old and he's the emperor of France. He comes out of nowhere. He's a young man. He's like 26 years old. So, you know, you ask yourself, you know, is there uh, what 26 year old out there is lurking in the bowels of America who, you know, everybody's going to point to at some point, you know, and and, and say uh, he's the guy. Yeah, well, and there's this. War- Let's hope he's not a bad guy. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the the. <laughs> That's the problem is that if if the guy or, you know, guy or gal or or whatever is picked in result is is picked because of the situation is demanded because of the situation, because there's a yearning for it. There's a high chance of picking the wrong person. Right. Well, yeah. The, yeah, you know? the, the Germans did that in 1930. Of course. Yeah. And, they were and, they were in great economic and psychological groups, mass psycho mass psychological distress. Yeah. They picked the wrong guy. They picked Hitler. Yeah, well, and but but that's because because compet because compet, competence was yearned for versus valued. So, for example, yeah. so like right now is like there's this war on competence where it's like it's it's there's we're not living in a meritocracy at the moment, right? Whereas and there's all sorts of you can debate that all day, and that's another third rail and whatever. But there has to be you have to be able to you know, have the power plants run. You have to be able to have the schools teach people effectively. And that's, that's people are, for, have suddenly become afraid to have that be the metric, right? All these other things are metrics They're other than competence now. Mm-hmm. And what that has resulted in is all the things that we're talking about. And so there's going to be all this disorder. So unless we return to this idea of like, you know, it doesn't have to be a straight meritocracy, but you know, more meritocracy than whatever it is that we're getting now. then I think we are vulnerable for that situation that you're talking about. And um, there will be a lot of disorder and there will be a lot of, of, and people will be wondering, well, how did we get here? And when it's the most obvious thing in the world, because it's happened many times before. Well, you know, and one of the obvious conclusions that's an unappetizing conclusion to come to is that, you know, if you if you really want competence, you can't run a society on uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity. And, uh, you know, we made that choice a few years ago, and it's a poor choice. It's not working. And uh, we're afraid to reverse it because it's going to hurt too many people's feelings, you know, and and because running society now is so much about people's feelings, you know, we are going to choose to not hurt people's feelings. And that's why we're in the predicament we're in. That's that's why the Chicago schools are failing or, you know, for that matter, schools all over America are failing because, uh, you know, too many teachers, the teachers unions and the teaching vocation is dominated by women. Who don't want to hurt people's feelings so we don't want to we don't want to tell people who can't speak english that that's not okay and as a result they can't learn anything else because they're not learning how to speak english they can't read the books they can't you know follow the they can't follow the instructions and uh so as long as we care more about hurting people's feelings than making shit work uh nothing's going to work yeah, but the thing is, like, take for example, I think a lot of the public schools are on the are going to have a problem because of all the homeschooling, right? So you have all these people that are taking their kids out and they're homeschooling them, and that's predominantly women, right? And I think they're they're going to have a very positive outcome with regards mm-hmm. to pulling their kids out and you know homeschooling them, and and I think that's going to go great for those kids. Yeah, well, and yeah. Th- those are the women who probably recognize that uh, a school is not about your feelings; it's about right. learning. Yeah, I mean, it's, but yeah. you know that that's a really a, a symptom, uh, really of of the larger 
uh, picture, which is that public education generally is failing on on several other counts. The main one is financial. And and unfortunately, we made a bad decision decades ago to centralize every school system in America, you know, to combine all of the regional schools Mm -hmm. into one big high school, one big combo school, middle school and high school, et cetera. You know, these we we. Uh, we have to run these gigantic uh, yellow bus systems to get all the kids to the schools every year. That's in the process of failing because we're not going to be able to pay for the diesel fuel to run the buses and we're not going to do it with electric buses. So, you know, the, the whole consolidated school system is, was a bad decision and it's going to fail. And, uh, you know, unless you can coherently and strategically, um, Re, uh, uh, you know, de- decentralize the school districts and uh, create smaller local schools distributed more equitably on the landscape and around the population centers, uh, we're not going to have public school. So uh, we've seen basically a system that has grown too large and too unwieldy and too uncostly and too costly um, uh, begin to collapse and uh it's once you know once that happens it's very difficult to get back to uh, a smaller scale of of doing it so what we'll probably do is it will collapse whether we like it or not and it won't collapse all at the same time in all the same places but you know it'll collapse here and there and then everywhere and uh kids will get educated at home or Homeschools will aggregate into smaller academies and they'll be, you know, they'll they'll be kind of what you had in communities 150 years ago. Yeah, well, that's probably how it's going to work. It wasn't that long ago. You know, my dad went to a very small schoolhouse in North Dakota. Right. So him Uh and his his whole family lived on a farm and they and it's it's funny how it may be one or two generations before it goes back to that. You know, not not necessarily by choice, but but by force. You know, but, you know, we're also we're facing these huge demographic uh, shifts in the country. Um, The population is liable to be lower in the years ahead than it has been uh and and even that kind of demographic problem is very damaging to the kind of economy that we've had which is based on growth and debt and you know you can't have debt without growth and so the the basic economic equation is collapsing and um you know it's what we're basically looking at is a scramble to remain civilized and that will require the reshuffling, reorganization, and rebuilding of just about every institution we have. And um, we're not prepared for for something that's that deep. We think that we can just keep on running our shit by other means. And it, as you said earlier, that's a complete fantasy. It's not going to happen. So until we get, until we really get down with the idea that we have to severely make new arrangements for continuing to be civilized um we're going to be living in a a lot of disorder and that's what we're seeing the disorder in the educational system it's pure chaotic you know disorder and that's what you get when systems disintegrate emergently and then have to emergently reorganize and 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 reorganize 
And yeah. you go through this period of of chaos and disorder that's very uh, damaging and disconcerting and discouraging. But you know that's what happens. Well, and, and we're we're coming up against it on the time. And I guess you know we've talked a lot about a lot about um, disorder and chaos and and where we're headed. Are you are, you know maybe we can end with this? Are you optimistic about the future, or do you think like how long do you think this period of disorder is going to last? Do you think we're going to come out stronger on the other end? Like, what are your feelings about the future going forward? I think it's going to be a, a terrible travail for Western Civ. Uh, I think for a while we're going to have a timeout from a lot of things that we've gotten used to, especially comforts and conveniences. Uh, when the dust settles, which you know could be 10, 20, 50 years from now, I think we're going to be a smaller society, more of a, a, an agricultural society and not a technological society. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a lot of our electric grid arrangements uh, fail. Um, and uh, people who aren't willing and able to think about radically reordering their lives are going to be left behind. And it, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be in American culture anymore. I think we'll get a lot of that stuff back. Um, and, you know, uh, um, uh economic catastrophe has a way of focusing people's minds on other things than you know gender complaints and other idiocy that we have been preoccupied with but i think it's going to be a long slog and that's why i called uh you know this phenomenon the long emergency and it's going to go on for a while well and i think I do think the one thing that will help people prepare for it mentally and and um you know prepare for it in terms of to be able to reorder their lives is to start to think of at least start thinking about it now in advance and they can do that by reading your books and reading your blog and listening to podcasts where you talk like this and jim as always i really appreciate the time i think it was a really spirited discussion and i, I thank you for coming on and hopefully i get to have you on again okay well sorry if i offended some of your listeners and uh you know but i'm trying to bring the reality back to the center of the arena we're a free it's a free speech podcast and people get to say whatever they want so it's uh people can't handle it that's a that's a them problem so okie dokie thanks I, thanks I for having me on there Wade. i appreciate you jim and we'll talk soon okay okay all right creator i know you want to escape the current understory that you are trapped in i get it i've been there but in order to do that, you're going to have to have a creative clearing, a place to stand in confidence and clarity. I'm not gonna promise you some magical course, coach or codex, but I cannot help you unless you raise your hand and say, I'm over here. Raise your hand and say, let's get out of here together. The podcast contains the philosophy and the five public principles, but the daily emails have the insights, innovations, and shadow principles of building the classic American business that I only discuss with my subscribers. Raise your hand and let's light the lantern together. The path of understanding never ends, but that does not mean you cannot get to where you want to go. Go now and subscribe to my daily email list at understoryemails.com. Again, that's understoryemails.com. Go light the lantern.